point of personal privilege, that's a fancy Robert's Rules uh, of Order speak for, I, gotta, I just got to take a little aside to say, and he's going to hate me for saying this, but it's my son's birthday tomorrow, and I'm so proud of him. Jonathan, stand up. Look at this tall drink of water. Oh, 16. Man, he is, he's a rock star. I love that kid. And, and I'm going to hear about it later, like, Dad. So when I was 16, when I was 16, and I was a Boy Scout, I went on a hike uh, that summer, summer of 80, uh, uh, 87, 88, uh, went on a 50-mile off-trail hike in a very remote area high in the Sierra foothills. This is north of, of Yosemite. And so I, I went with eight other scouts, uh, our guide and my big brother, on, on this hike. We really had to be very careful what we were doing because there are no trails to, to follow. Our, our lives depended on food rations, pure water, good maps, good compasses, and world-class orienteering. The first rule of hiking, know where you're going before you set out. Our goal in this series, uh, walking through the book of Revelation, is to help all of us orient ourselves the right way. The book of Revelation, especially as we draw to the end of it uh, in, in a little while yet, in, Genesis, in uh, Revelation chapter 21 and 22, it shows us the destination toward which all of human history is moving. Amen? So that's the goal. So for further study on your own, this is just a note that you can take. Our small groups are starting uh, this weekend, and so small group leaders, you might want to make note of this. If you're not yet part of a small group, you can see uh, David afterwards. We want to get you plugged in. But you'll see in your bulletin for the next eight weeks uh, Bible study material that will help you. You can take that on your own. Today's includes uh, chapters four and five. But for further study, I'd encourage you to write this down. Read and study on your own. Exodus chapter 19. Isaiah chapter 6. Ezekiel chapter 1. And especially... Daniel chapter 7. There are 23 references to the book of Daniel in Revelation. Half of them are direct references to, to chapter 7 of Daniel. The other references all point to that chapter. It's incredibly important and significant, the, the prophetic promise of the one who's coming and has come. Okay? Is that helpful? So, so last week we looked at the first five verses in chapter 5. John had a vision of the throne room of heaven. And there's God seated on the throne, and in his hand, a scroll. The, the will of God, the, the secret plan of, of, of God, the, the, the plan that will show the world's destiny. But no one is worthy to open the scroll. And so John weeps. And that's where we open today. And so I'd like to invite uh, Suze Bodwell to come on up. Suze's going to come up and read for us Revelation chapter 5, verses 4 to 14, and as she does, would you please stand with me and let's honor God's word as she uh, reads to us Holy Scripture. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing 
as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. God's holy word. Grace be God. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So verse 5, the, elders, the, the elder says to John, John's weeping because no one's worthy, but the elder says to John, look, the line of Judah, the, the root of David, and we looked at these images last week. These are profound Old Testament promises of the coming Messiah. The line of Judah, the root of David. And John turns expecting to see a lion. Now, be, before we, we look, remember this is apocalyptic imagery that we're studying. Apocalyptic language and text. When we think of the word apocalypse, we think of bombs exploding and crazy stuff happening, right? But really, the word apocalypse means the unveiling. It's a pulling back. And it's pulling back to reveal mysterious realities through symbolism. So all the other forms of scripture that we look at, we first want to understand it just what's this plain spoken, literal sense of what we're reading. When we come to this type of writing, we first need to consider what, what's the symbolic representation? What's it pointing us to, okay? So you're ready to look? Let's look. It says, between the throne and the living creatures, uh, among the elders, John looks and he doesn't see a lion. Instead, he sees, quote, a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. Is this literally what Jesus looks like? A slaughtered lamb with horns and, and eyes. No, no, okay, doubtful. Okay, good. All right, yes, all right, just checking. This is figurative language. Figurative language. Is America a melting pot? Well, not literally, though. A melting pot, it's a metaphor for a society where many different types of people blend together as one. Isn't that great? We're a melting pot, not literally, but figuratively. Is Seattle the Emerald City? Well, it's, it's figuratively, right? It's surrounded by lots of green stuff. Come on, work with me, people. This is online. You're killing me here. 
figuratively, yes, because it's surrounded by green stuff and that, that, that name's sick. When our students, students here, when you say, oh, I've got a ton of homework, what do you really, mean? oh, you really do have a ton of homework. Oh, <laughs> wow. Schools in Kenton, that's rough. Literally a ton? Okay, so we'll check in later. Okay. But everything else is figurative speech. Words or phrases used in a non-literal sense to convey a vivid effect. What's the effect that John's going for? What's the response that he wants his readers to hear as he is responding? Now, for us in our modern or postmodern kind of ears, our response to this might be just confusion. Like, what? This is why I don't want to read Revelation, Pastor, because it's just confusing. But, but to the early church, to the seven churches, they knew exactly where he was going. And the response that was happening in John was happening in them, and, and the effect, I hope, would happen to us as well. Another John, John the Baptist, when he first saw Jesus coming uh, towards him, coming uh, to be baptized in the Jordan, John, John chapter 1, verse 29 says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The most common commandment in the book of Revelation is, Look! Behold, see, it's the most common thing. You see it again and again uh, throughout the book of Revelation. Do you know what the second most common commandment or directive is in the book of Revelation? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. We fulfill the second commandment by obeying the first. Whatever we face, we're facing it with fear. Like, what do I do? We look and we see who's really in charge. We follow that pattern. And that's what John's giving to the church and to us. To look and behold an image that's not to confuse us, certainly not to, to make us shake in our boots, but one that will behold the glory of Christ. When Jesus is called the Lamb of God in, in John's gospel, it's referring to him as the Perfect, ultimate sacrifice for sin. We sang, as we did in chapter 4, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The holiness of God, utterly perfect in perfection, where nothing sinful, nothing unholy can ever be in his presence. And what would bridge that gap? Jesus, the Lamb of God. In fact, the whole sacrificial system established by God set the stage for the coming of Jesus Christ. When you study that throughout the Old Testament, you see when we study the book of Revelation, you have to have all of your Bible open to get what's happening here. How the perfect sacrifice of God would provide an atonement for the sins of all God's people. That Christ would be that once and for all sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 10. So John sees a, a vivid image of a lamb. It is the Passover lamb. The Passover is the most important celebration in, uh, in the, the Jewish religion. It celebrates God's deliverance of, Egypt, of, of the Israelites out of Egypt. How many years were they in Egypt in slavery? Class? 400 years. Yes. And the slaying of the Passover lamb and, and its blood marked on the doorposts, on the houses, Exodus chapter 12, 
It's a picture of Christ's atoning work on the cross. Now, those for whom he died are covered by his blood. They, they are protected from the angel of spiritual death. And so we see this foreshadowing in the Old Testament. We see the Israelites delivered, saved, their houses marked. The angel passes over, and in the same way, Jesus is the Passover lamb. The original Exodus was the template of the greater Exodus that took place when Jesus of Nazareth became that Passover lamb. And that's what John the Baptist was, po was pointing to. It also points to Isaiah's prophecy of a lamb led to slaughter in Isaiah chapter 53. See, this, this system of, of sacrifice continued throughout uh, the time of the temple, where morning and, and evening a lamb was sacrificed in the temple for the sins of the people. Uh, show of hands, I'll be the first to raise my hand. How many of us have sinned since this morning? The rest of you are lying. <laughs> and so a sacrifice was given in the morning and in the evening, Exodus chapter 29, verses 38 to 42. And Christ's sacrifice on the cross is the fulfillment of that whole system. In fact, at the very time that, that Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross, that was the very time that that evening sacrifice was being given at the temple to bring atoning sacrifice for sin, to reconcile us to God. When, when John turns his gaze, expecting a lion and sees a lamb, a lamb worthy, that's what he sees, and that's what he feels, and that's what he wants us to feel. Now, remember I said chapter 4 and 5, they go together. Chapter 4, worship of God, the creator, the almighty, who sits on the throne. And, and the sea is like glass. There's no chaos before God. And, and the rainbow that represents God's covenant grace, all of that attention is turned to our creator. And then chapter 5, worship is also directed toward our redeemer. Worthy is the lamb to open God's secret plan because his sacrifice accomplished redemption and victory for God's people. Look at the text of what's actually being sung here. Ransom people for God from every tribe. Do you see how this is a callback to the first exodus? That's what's happening here. Now let's talk about numbers. Numbers have symbolic, powerful meaning throughout the book of Revelation. And the number seven uh, represents completeness, fullness, perfection. It says the lamb has seven horns, horns symbolizing power, from Deuteronomy 33, 17. The seven horns symbolizing power, perfect power. And seven eyes from Zechariah chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, symbolizing total wisdom. You see everything, 360 degrees, plus seven spirits and Again, there's only one Holy Spirit, but that number seven, completeness. This is the fullness of the Holy Spirit dwelling within this lamb that is slain. Together it shows that the lamb is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, and completely divine. That's what it's meant to communicate and elicit a response from us. That God the Son takes the plan from God the Father, and all of a sudden, what happens? Heavenly choir just breaks loose in praise. 
And it says they sing a new song, Psalm 89. We studied that at Christmas time. They sing a, a, a new song. They fall down before him. And, and then there's more symbolism. The elders hold a musical instrument and, and golden bowls of incense signifying the, the prayers of the saints. We'll see this show up again and again. The prayers of the saints are said to be like, figuratively like, sweet-smelling incense burns and the aroma goes and fills the throne room of God. What an encouragement. When you're praying, saints, when you pray, it's like sweet-smelling incense. It comes and is pleasing to God to hear your prayers. The creator God, the redeeming God, hearing your prayers this way. Now it says they're singing a new song, underlying new song, because Christ's redeeming work on the cross brings a new thing. Listen, the idea of the Old Testament exodus has been universalized. God's people are delivered not from Egypt, but from the rule of Satan. God's people aren't confined to one nationality. They come from all nations. God's people are confined to, to one ethnic group. The church is multi-ethnic. Our destination, what we're fighting for, what we're leading towards, the victory that Christ has for us is not a strip of land uh, in, in the Middle East. It is a new promised land that will cover the whole new earth of his creation. And the slain lamb of Israel has become the cosmic king of the universe. The living creatures join with the elders and many, how many angels? I need a math major. Who, how many angels? Myriads and myriads? Thousands and thousands. How many is that? Is that? Hundreds of millions <laughs> gathered their attention on the Lamb who's worthy. Look at verse 12. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Sevenfold praise of God. Complete Praise of the Lamb, complete honor to our Savior, complete love and attention and adoration directed to our Lord. Not sure Jesus is worth worshiping? Behold, see this vision and don't be afraid. Worthy is the Lamb. Chapter 4 showed us a dilemma. No one was worthy to open the scroll, God's, God's secret plan, his will for human history, the map of our destiny, until the line of Judah, the root of David, appeared. But that was incomplete. It's not until John turns and sees that it's the lamb standing as if slain. It's none other than Jesus who's offered himself in a plan before time, before you and me, before everything. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Hatch this plan. And now he stands in heaven, receiving sevenfold praises because he is the one worthy to break the scroll and then all heaven will break loose. It's through his death on the cross. 1 Peter 1, 18 to 21 speaks of the preciousness of the blood of the lamb that's sprinkled, that covers, that protects so that we can live. The first rule of hiking, you remember? First rule, know where you're going before you set out. 
The second rule is probably proper footwear. But the first rule is know where you're headed before you set out. So where are you headed? Where, where, where are you headed? Just consider, do you know where you're going? You're just, well, I'm just kind of going for, through life, put one foot in front of the other, get up, go to work, get home, pay taxes. Where are you headed? What's the destiny where you're headed? Have you considered it? In the Christian journey, this is a journey that we do together. There's no lone rangers in the church. There's no going off on our own. We do this together. Our lives depend on the spiritual food and, and living water to feed our souls. And the only map and compass that we need is, is God's word. And we have the best, beyond world class, the cosmic class, one to orient us the right way, the Holy Spirit. So you're walking like, nope, nope, this way? Where's my true north? Which way am I supposed to? Lord, I was just closing my eyes. I'm going to wait till you show me which way. This way? Okay. That's the Christian walk. If you're not a Christian today, if you know that you're not on track, you know in your heart of hearts you are not walking in the way of the Lord. 1 John 5, 4 and 5 says this, Everyone born of God overcomes the world. Now, do we take that symbolically, figuratively? No, literally. This is, this is not revelation. This is 1 John. It says, everyone born of God overcomes the world. It says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So the first step to victory, the first step towards the right destination is to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Have you taken that step? If you have, we gotta call you back. If you're heading the wrong way, come, come and join us. And allow him to guide you and follow in his steps through grace, by grace through faith. If you are a believer today, here's the encouragement. Remember to look up. Say, oh man, this is so hard. What's happening? Uh, what, the situation that I'm in right now, it's so tough. The mud is sinking. We're going downhill. Look up. Look at the destiny. Look at the destination. Look where everything is moving. Orient yourself to that and do not be afraid. Look and do not be afraid. Look towards God and towards heaven. And sometimes when we look, we'll be like John, we'll, we'll have tears in our eyes. That's okay. So I'm, I'm looking, but I'm weeping because I don't see it. I don't understand it, Lord. But I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on you. Starting in chapter 6, that we'll, we'll look at next week, the Lamb breaks the seals, and we'll discover that everything, even the forces raging against him, serve his ultimate purposes. The scroll unrolls towards his kingdom. So I'll leave you with this. Look up. Don't be afraid. Sing for joy. Orient your life the right way. 
The way of the cross. What's the way of the cross? Turn the other cheek. Don't just love your friend. Love everyone. Pray for those who persecute you. Show love to your enemies. This is the way of the cross. Jesus says, you know, someone tells you to walk a mile. Do you know what his disciples knew what that meant? That meant if a Roman centurion said, you must uh, carry my stuff for a mile, that was the rules because they were in occupied territory. He says, you know what? The government tells you to do one mile, you go two. That's the way of the cross. It's a way of, of foolishness and weakness to the world, but we know better because we follow the Lamb who is strong and wise and filled with the Spirit. I'm looking out here. I'm not seeing a lot of Seattle Seahawks jerseys, not to, to rub it in. Why? Well, because they lost, right? We'll put that away until next September. We don't carry around clothing for losers until September. Hope springs eternal. The, the way of the cross, you always wear it. You always wear it. And even when it looks like a defeat, you say, no, no, I've got victory in Christ. We're talking ultimate victory. We're talking about this afternoon, the score, 71 to 3. If you say they just won, no, they wiped the floor with the opponents. That's the kind of victory we have in Christ. Even when we lose, we win. I hope you see that. We stop being so afraid to orient your life, even down, make a decision this first day of the week towards God. I'm going to invite Rob and, and the team to come up. Thankfully, Rob's not a comedian either. <laughs> Elders, we're going to have an emergency meeting after this to discuss uh, Roberto. But as they come up, I want to lead us in, in prayer to pledge our allegiance to the Lamb. Students, are you going to head out for Sunday school? Is that the plan? You're going to stay? For, 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 good. good stuff. Let's pray. Just, just close your eyes. Stop looking at your phone. The babies are okay upstairs in childcare. And let's pray. Agnus Dei, Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, grant us peace. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, thank you for your mercy. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, thank you for a peace that passes understanding. Lord, see that today we might lift our eyes to behold look and see to follow that commandment and not be afraid that we might know we have victory in Christ. Whatever is in our past, whatever is the struggle that we have currently, whatever is that, that secret part of our life that we can't tell anybody, we know that you already know and you already see and you already are telling us what the answer is and you are strong enough. There is an answer to the impossible questions that we have. So God, before you now, we want to bring sevenfold worship of praise to reorient our hearts, Lord, 
to cast away the, the idols of this world, the things that pull all of our attention. We're going to set all that aside and come into your throne room and receive from you an encouragement, Lord, on, on our way home. Pray in Jesus' name.